Working Dog Radio. <laughs> Broadcasting the bite. We're super excited to have Ray Allen back on as a sponsor out in Colorado Springs. Be sure to use the discount code Working Dog Radio spelled out for your 10% off of your next order. RayAllen.com. It's not just for working dogs, guys. It's for all dogs and no sex offenders. True story. You guys have all heard us talk about it. Our favorite e-collars, dogsure.com. They got ball trainers. They got bark collars. They got the 1900S that we love. Ted, how do they get a discount? Go to dogtrue.com, just like it sounds. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. I suggest the ball popper or the 1900S because I use a ton of both of those. But yeah, dogtrue.com. Our good friend Cameron Ford, we've had him on the podcast. We've been on his podcast. He's over there in Vegas now, silverstatek9.com. He's brought his scientific approach to detection work over there to Vegas, silverstatek9.com. All kinds of uh, detection and supervisory schools and everything else like that. Ted, what do you think of that place? It's awesome. I mean, Cameron is one of the most well-versed guys when it comes to the scientific approach and the detection work when it comes to finding bombs or drugs. He's one of the only guys, I think, that ever ran a dog in three states as a law enforcement officer if i remember correctly but yeah great facility great people great training uh hit them up silverstatecanine.com if you guys have seen ted and i posting pictures of these bad ass poker chips we got we got them for van s canine torchlight canine hrd working dog radio we get those from our friends at combat bet challenge coins ted talk about where they can get them and little discount combatbetbet.com use the discount code spelled out working dog radio and try before you buy with the sampler pack be sure to go to combatbet.com forward slash wdr and then plug in the discount code wdr and they'll send you a free sample pack of the ceramic coins and of the metal ones so you can choose which one you want We're super excited to have Horizon Structures on board as a sponsor of the podcast. They're a family-owned business, and they have quality customer service, and their pricing is super, super simple. In fact, if you head over to Horizon Structures, you can see the full gamut of their pre-made kennels, and they go from mild to, I would live in one of these things, wild. So, uh, Eric, (laughs) where can you find them? Horizonstructures.com. It's like a buffet for kennels and everything on that. Horizonstructures.com, or call them toll-free, 888 447-4337. All right, guys, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Coming to you from Covington, Kentucky or Cincinnati, whichever way you, whichever side of the bridge you're looking at. You can Uh, see it from here. That's right. Uh, We're here for an HRD event, um, high-risk deployment, uh, police canine training. as a company that Ted and I uh, co-own with Alicia and our buddy Ray. So uh, we this is our last event of the year, Ted. What do you what do you think the year's been like? Man, um, long. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing. You know, we come to these deals and uh, they're you know three days. We fly in, fly out, um, and then we've also got this project, and then we've all got our own like kennel businesses and police training businesses. So uh, <clears throat> January seems like it was a lot longer than eleven months ago. so yeah we got a lot of hard road miles yeah (laughs) yeah so i mean we started the year off uh, with the kids in san antonio uh at the bear county sheriff's office um and that was like version point one of hrd and we've learned a lot of shit since then um but uh yeah i mean we're looking forward to uh 2020 the first 2020 is going to be memphis in january and then uh 
I'm going to go seek Nick Ronzo and the kids in uh, Dover at Delaware State Police. What do you got uh, going on at Torchlight? Uh, I've got a handler school that starts tomorrow um, with uh, a little duchy. And then I got another handler school starting in a couple of weeks. And then we've also got, I don't know, like six dogs or eight dogs or something in process right now for uh, finishing up for dual purpose narcotics. Cool. Yeah, I got a uh, handler school just with one guy in it. My local, the county local to me actually bought a dog. Um, he's going to start uh, second week of December. He'll get done 20 or 17th of January. I think it was one we'll set up his state test. But um, plugging away, it's... Uh, turning winter i don't know about tulsa but in canton ohio today was when i left was 50 <laughs> it was awesome however it's supposed to be in the 20s tonight and a blizzard so fun yeah and that's that's all out of chicago all that bullshit weather um so what we wanted to do in this episode was kind of an hrd recap of 2020 or 2019 um kind of get us this is the last event get us rolling into 2020 so on that note, we brought our business partner, Ray Murphy, in with us. Ray was on a previous podcast interview with us uh, from the Blue Line seminar early yeah. in the year. He April, sat in April or May. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so, Ray, how are you, buddy? I'm damn good. What? Uh, you tired? <laughs> you, you just got back from a, another Slayer final concert. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I saw Slayer for the 50th final time, and we've had back-to-back HRDs and Griffin Group. So, yeah, it's been quite a travel month. Yeah. Do they know you, the Slayer guys? Uh, they should by now. Yeah. <laughs> You've done like five meet and greets this year. Yeah, they got to be like, you look familiar. Well, that's our training music. Half our scenarios have Slayer playing in the background. So This is yeah. true. Did you ever tell them that? Uh, no, <laughs> I didn't really have the chance. Although but. we did do, we did do the meet and greet with Hatebreed in Dallas and we asked, uh, Jamie Josta if he wanted to get bit and he's like, no, but I know some people that should. <laughs> and I was like, sign them up. Nice. So, <laughs> nice. so, um, we want to, we're going to do a recap of 2019 for HRD. And for those of you who don't know, I think most of you do know that listen to the podcast. HRD is a company that we started where we go around the country and we do um, basically scenario-based training with uh, police department, our canine units. Um, it's an LE only. We don't, um, we're not doing it for uh, private folks or anything like that. It's just for LE. Based off of experiences that we have all had, things we've seen, stuff that uh, have come to us from other mistakes and other weird situations that people have been in. Um, at HRD, we go over uh, what we think scenario-based training is and what it isn't. And then we put you through a lot of environmental stuff, put your dog through a lot of environmental stuff. See where the holes basically are in your training, what we, we believe are some holes. You know, and it doesn't mean necessarily that you have a bad training group or a bad trainer or anything like that. It just means maybe they got either stagnant or just aren't thinking outside the box or, or maybe need a, a little change other ways i still think on a couple of the bigger training groups that we went to that have very well-known well-respected um trainers there we were able to a maybe show them a couple different things that they could throw in and b it was a chance for them to take a break and yeah. not have to do shit and us come in and, and put all their dogs through some some good times well then there's the 50 mile rule too yeah which which applies a lot yeah the so, 50 mile rule for those of you who don't know and if you think about it when i tell you is that everybody's uh, gonna nod their head right <laughs> that you're 
you're not an expert if you're you're only an expert if you're from 50 miles or away or further so like i could be telling my guys something a mantra over and over again and they like roll their eyes or they get sick of hearing it or whatever <laughs> or they're they're not really buying into it and then i bring a trainer in from over 50 miles away and they're like yeah man this guy's smart he you hear what he said about training out i'm like yeah, fuck face. Yes, I know. I, I yes, I did hear that. Actually. Doesn't doesn't it sound familiar? <laughs> I've been telling you this. So every once in a while, we'll go to a, a seminar, and when we when we debrief a scenario, uh, the trainer of the area will step in and say, "Does that sound familiar? I have been telling you this, assholes." Right. <laughs> so, uh, but um, so we'll, we'll start. We're going to talk about um, some individual guys that we had fun with um some successes and and it's amazing some of the changes we see or improvements we see in a dog or a team in general um in three days it's yeah. crazy what we see um and then we'll talk about some funny stuff that happened and some pretty s significant holes that we see um all around the country like everywhere that we're that we're identifying um, we're not going to go into what our scenarios are, um, because some of them may, get, uh, still be used in 2020. We have some new stuff for 2020. Plus we did, uh, Ted and I did a whole thing on our Patreon account where we broke down an entire HRD seminar day one, two, and three, exactly how we do it. So we uh, ran through like with the exception of one notable scenario, we ran through every single, it was an hour and 40 minute podcast. It's a private one up on Patreon that runs through every fucking scenario and how you set it up and like what you do and everything else. So, so Ray, let's talk about real quick on, um, so talk really quickly about the genesis of HRD going all the way back to New York. Huh. Back to New York. Yeah. Back to, uh, <laughs> Oh, the street tactics. Seminar. Yeah. Kent God, Seminar. Albany. Yeah. I mean, when we went there, I was pretty blown away to see all the different teams from all the different areas show up there. And when we ran our station, you can distinctly tell who trained a certain way by the way the teams were reacting to the scenario we're throwing in front of them. We could tell that there was another group of people coming through at any given moment. And that showed me, or it really flagged that there's people doing it the right way and there's some people who just don't know how to do it, I guess, what I would consider the right way, which would be throwing all the unknowns into a picture, making things uncomfortable, uh, so you saw a lot of teams excel at that, and then you saw some other ones just completely fall apart. The brilliant thing about that that um, street tactics seminar, it, it brought so many teams together, but the problem with that scenario was the not, I mean, teams from Ohio or, you know, across the country don't have access to something like that. And I think that's when all the lights clicked on for us to, like, hey, Let's let's see what we can do about bringing this out to the rest of the country and try to help those who are struggling out there that just want to get to that next level. Yeah, at Albany, we were only able to do a couple scenarios because every there was I don't know uh, it's a it's a huge seminar and there was a ton he's do, of he's doing it again by the way. Yeah, there was a ton of um, station set up, so you would come to our station, then maybe go downstairs to Troy Casey Station, and then uh, I think Bradshaw just yeah. at the building we were at. And then there was a whole bunch of bite development and grip testing stations. And then there was a whole nother location with a bunch of other ones. Um, what I did see that I was very disappointed in, um, and, and it's a cop canine thing, is that there were some dudes that went there 
And you could tell they were not there to do the work. They were there to not be at work. Um, and it is a thing. So we would see guys that we saw a guy come the very end of the last day and we hadn't seen him for three days. Yeah, at all. And we're like, where the fuck you been, dude? What, what are you doing? I know all about you. And uh, he, he half-assed the scenario. He paid yeah. for it. He, ha- he half-assed it. So, guys, when you go to these seminars where you bring your dog, it's a little different when you're going to the, to the ones where there's no dog and it's just classroom. Um, yeah. I can kind of, I can get where it can get a little laggy. But when there's an area where you're bringing your dog, what the hell are you doing hiding or sitting around bullshitting and not work? Um, and the guy who showed up last, who didn't run any of the other scenarios, was terrible. Yeah, he sucked. He was horrible. I, I don't know. And, and a guy who's going to get himself hurt. I don't even remember his dog. The guy was so bad. Yeah, it was, it was bad. So I've said this at a lot of these um, seminars we've run that, I mean, do not be afraid to fail in training. I mean, training is your place to fail. However, when we run these seminars, we do a great deal of time we spend a lot of time with these guys trying to figure out exactly where they are so we know how to properly scale the exercises the whole point of this is not to run some ridiculously hard scenarios just to crush you know handler and dog we want to build these teams up and show them exactly where they are so they know how to build upon that when they go back to their training groups i think that's what people have to really understand and not be intimidated by what we're doing at a given station i think the word got around in albany pretty quick that we run a pretty spicy scenario up there, and some people purposely kind of ducked out of there, being like, "Oh shit, I don't know how my dog's going to do." Well, I mean, fuck. All you do is tell us. You know, we'll yeah. scale the thing back. There'll be a positive outcome, but you'll at least leave that station knowing how to take that back to your group and maybe work on your deficiencies instead of hiding behind them. And then this shit flares up in the real world, and then your dog or you get killed in the process. And I, and I'll tell you what, man, peer pressure is a motherfucker. I've, I've seen even dudes in their thirties, forties and fifties handlers at every single one of these seminars that are, they're not going to verbally, they're going to tell me any, you two or me, they're not going to tell us oh, I'm uncomfortable, but they don't go first, but you see them, they don't see them struggle or, and it falls into two categories. It falls into them not trusting the dog um, or them not not knowing what the dog is capable of, um, no matter how long they've been a handler. And peer pressure is a bitch, man. I mean, they'll see these dudes run it, and you know, every seminar we have guys that are gung-ho, and they're like, I'm going first. And then we have guys that want to go twice, right? They're like, I want to do it again, especially when we do the island. Everybody wants to do that one more than once. And it's interesting because... I'll see those guys kind of wallflower it, and like I'm just like everybody getting the same rotation, everybody getting the same rotation, and I don't really give them an option. Like I just give them the same brief, and I give them the same everything, and you know those are the guys that usually come up on the third day and are like, dude, this is the best thing I've ever been to, yeah. and I learned so much um, about not necessarily like we're not teaching them you know, fucking basic shit in terms of like this, uh, leash works. Uh, sometimes we are, which we'll talk about in a second, but sometimes too, <laughs> like, you know, they say, you know, I'm so much more confident in what my dog can do, or I know what he can do. That's one thing that I tell people all the time. You know, if I ever hear any of my, my handlers, like my guys, like Chad, Kyle, Ray, like my guys, my guys, if I ever hear them say, well, I wasn't really sure it was going to happen. I fucked up somewhere. And that's what this is about. So, I see at the HRD, it's pretty funny. Uh, when we go to uh, an event where the handlers might not know us, maybe maybe if some of them <laughs> listen to the podcast, some don't. Um, they don't they aren't really sure. 
there's a little bit of a, I don't know, like a feeling out process. Not from us. We're like, well, I come in and we start right away and, and uh, we do our thing. And then you see guys that are kind of apprehensive. But I think, I think, I don't know, Ray, if you see this too, by the end of that first day, when they realize that we have not uh, done things to embarrass them or anything like that, I, I start to see them relax and kind of get into it. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. day one, I, I get the the privilege of standing up in front of a room full of cops with their arms crossed, staring at me like, "Who's this motherfucker? Like, what's he got?" <laughs> and I I'm lay out what they what to expect for the next couple of days. But yeah, I mean, when we start opening their eyes on a few of these scenarios, even the guys that think they got it, and then they get suitcased up in a hallway or something, and by the end of this thing, they're coming up to us saying, "Holy shit." <laughs> um, they, everybody's able to take something away from these seminars, you know, whether it's an entirely new outlook on how to train altogether or just bits and pieces of what we're currently doing. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a tough crowd. I mean, think about you're the comedian in a, that cold room. That's yeah. definitely what it feels like day one for pretty much all of these. But I think the key to our success in these things is day one is so important to have, number one, the class to explain what scenario-based training is, how to do it correctly so you're not just mimicking crap you see on YouTube and destroy a bunch of dogs. Um, and then this rest of the afternoon spent doing smaller-scale exercises that test the environmental so we know how to properly integrate these teams into these more complex scenarios without causing you know harm to the dogs or whatever training they've received. We got to make sure it, uh, it's very important to note that we do not try to break dogs. No, uh, we absolutely yeah. do not. And and I have heard of other training scenario companies or training companies that think it's funny and they try to break dogs. Now, uh, we do see dogs that um, pretty quickly where we get to a point where I kind of feel bad for the handler. Because the, he, the dog sh is, is not about that life. He should yeah. not be a dual-purpose road dog. Um, keep in mind, our HRD seminars, there is no... As of right now, we don't do any um, detection work. And we've done tracking at, I think, one of them. I know we did in Texas. Um, it's it, tr The tracking is a little bit difficult. You almost have to have a, just a traffic tracking specific. Yeah, well, so, we have bailout oh, yeah. pieces for every one of the scenarios we run. And all the decoys are very well... Uh, briefed on what to do in any given scenario if a dog starts acting funky or just is not about it. Yeah, and one thing that we all three have had after um, HRDs is, and it's usually, I don't know, like a month or however long after, sometimes sooner than that, but all three of us have had either Facebook messages or text messages or something from a handler that was there and we're like, we did almost something identical to this or I was in a situation where I remembered what happened during one of these scenarios and they kind of lean back and they say, no, I, and then, you know, they, they make a little bit better decision, which is what this is all about. And I, and the first day and, you know, cause during the first day, Eric and I do the presentation and then the last day we do kind of like a, our parting words or I don't know it always makes me awkward when we have to do that or I feel awkward doing it. But I say the same thing to both of them. You know, we're up here because canine is kind of like the bastard child of law enforcement in general. Um, you know, Gary, um, you know, the guy, they, they talk about worthless handling and worthless handlers and everything else. And we kind of tell the joke. Um, but, and I tell guys all the time, I say, you know, if you do everything right, they'll let you keep your job. If you fuck something up, they will hang you. And you are going to fuck something up in a spectacular fashion in front of a lieutenant or in front of a sergeant. 
and it's probably going to be something that should have been preventable or something you should have known the answer to or known how that was going to work out and you don't and that's what this is about <laughs> more than anything yeah. else so I, I mean so ray mentioned he said the word decoy just a little bit ago let's start yeah. there let's recap 2019 with decoys first off ray talk about the types of decoys that we use and the importance of them holy shit i mean these guys are yeah. and gals are taking a fucking beating um it is a non-stop get dog on deck type thing for three days. So these guys just get warped. Um, a lot of the decoys we've been using have backgrounds in PSA. So, I mean, I think Ted says it all the time. These guys will catch more dogs in a year than you'll do in your entire career. Um, so there's a lot to be learned from sport decoys. Um, guys like Jason Davis, you know, he brings ring experience, but even Jason, highly experienced decoys, is like, holy shit, this is a different animal. Yeah, and yeah. I think people need to get that through their heads that, you know, decoying for police work is definitely different than decoying for sport and being in a trial field. There's similarities, but there's some very stark differences, especially when it comes to safety. Um, a lot of these dogs have unknown backgrounds. Remember, we're dealing with a bunch of dogs we're not 100% familiar with. In fact, we just met them on one day <laughs> one. And then we're doing all these other scenarios, environmental things that can cause dogs to get squirrely. And those decoys have to react. And a lot of the times they're in the bite for, I mean, seven, eight, ten minutes yeah. in some of these scenarios. I mean, a lot of these dogs are like, what in the hell? They've never, ever been in a bite past 30, 40 seconds. So, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing to see. Also, we've had several decoys I mean, you know, tag along with us for a lot of these different things. It's opened a lot of doors for them, too. I mean, we've got Tyler up there working with Boston PD now. And just a lot of people who have come to work with us at any given point have been... You know, they've kind of used this as a gate to get in with some of these local groups that may have shut them out a little bit earlier. Yeah, and I think we show them at the end. We, we've we changed the minds on some people. There is a thing, and it's a real thing, that um, de civilian decoys get shunned by the local police training group. Um, you're not a cop. We, we're not going to let you in. I've heard, I've seen on Facebook groups where somebody has gone on and said that their department policy doesn't allow that, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I hear that and I have never actually seen no. that written. They're a fucking yeah, liar. I, right. There's, there's a whole thing. Trust me. Listen, I spent a lot of time working as a policeman. There are policies that uh, have been around forever that actually don't exist. Like there's not a rule. It's a, it's, it's just some lore is what it is. Not a rule. It's a, it's lore. And, um, uh, but it, it, we hear it all the time. So um, the decoys we get again, even the sport decoys, if they're not familiar all that much with um, police work, they'll catch your dog safely. Yep. That's a big thing. You put Johnny Stewart, the, the brand new fucking rookie cop, rookie handler in a bite suit and expect him to catch a dog, even from 10 feet away, uh, you risk injuring your dog. These guys don't. So a big portion of that, and I say this the first day, so the second slide of the presentation, the last uh, bullet point is um, decoys will make or break a training group and make or break these scenarios. There's a ton of stuff where um, as the person that writes these scenarios and runs it, whether who is one of the two of us or three of us, you know, we can't see what's going on. Like the dog is in a place where we can't see him um, and he's with the decoy. So, you know, I, I need information from the decoy. Did the dog come in? Did he engage? What happened when you were passive? What happened when you did this? Did you have to channel? Did you, how was his grip? How was his targeting? Blah, 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 blah. And a rookie cop 
is not going to answer any of that and have <laughs> any of that feedback. Cause right. that's all super fucking important. It's things that we need to know in terms of scalability, in terms of age of the dog, you know, and the decoys are really good too at bringing age appropriate and experience appropriate pressure to dogs. So, you know, if you have an experienced decoy, they're not going to go after a 14 month old green dog, like we would a five year old fucking street sweeper. And like, they understand that. And I, and, and we do that. And I think that's one thing about HRD that's different than a lot of the other ones, scenario companies is that when I tell, or when one of you two tells one of the decoys, this is what we're doing. This is what I need you to do. This is the dog. This is how much pressure you can do, or this is how much pressure you should. And I don't have to say anything else. That's it. Like, and then I can focus on instructing. I don't have to tell Johnny asshole, like, this mm-hmm. is how you catch a dog. This is how you present. This is an actual target. No, they're, uh, they're like, got it. And that alone is worth its weight in fucking gold. I, that, that makes these things run so much smoother. Like, I don't have to fuck around with instructing decoys. It's not a decoy camp. And having a f- equipment that fits. I mean, how many oh, departments yeah. you come across oh, yeah. these yeah. fucking mattress suits and the rookies in there creating shit me- bike mechanics on the dog. So they may have come from the vendor doing great. And then all of a sudden, within a year, you know, they're all over the damn place and they're transferring and they're doing the bed and... And, and, yeah, right. And believe me, guys, by the end of day one of HRD, uh, Ray, Ted, and I, we, we, your dog is already in our memory banks. We know, and, and we're on it. So we talk amongst ourselves of, hey, this is this dog. Let's move this one back. Or this one here, we're going to throw the fucking kitchen sink at, that type of thing. So it's it's important if you're the training trainer of that to actually pay attention to what's going on so that you, so you, you know how to scale it. Um, speaking of decoys, so we'll talk about a couple things that we saw throughout the year, um, decoy wise, uh, one, uh, JJ, JJ Seabrassy, <laughs> nine feet tall, right? What we found out from watching, uh, dogs work with JJ in the muzzle is they wouldn't hit him. And he says it's a thing all the time yeah. where dogs will go in, uh, some dogs that know him will that he works on a regular basis, but we see them chase him full speed into this one scenario that we have come in there and stop and then either go hit the, another guy or just turn and bail out. And he's just standing there. So, um, if you have anybody that's, that, that can do muzzle work with your dog and is real tall like that, give that one a shot, man. You, you might be surprised. I saw it. We saw it in San Antonio almost every single time. Um, he and JJ says it, it happens uh, with uh, tons of different. It dogs. happened with the women too, right? Yes. Austin, we had the oh, vagina yeah. room and right. dogs <laughs> wouldn't engage. <laughs> so let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. Most <laughs> training groups uh, don't have uh, women decoy for in there. Uh, where where was it? We had an entire broad squad. The whole Boston, Boston. Uh, no, 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 we had no. all women decoy. Was it Dallas? Was it down in Texas? No, it wasn't all women. But it was a lot. It was uh, mostly. We had like four or five women decoys and a couple dudes um, at one of them, and you can see the look on the guys' faces. But then they then they watch this girl catch fourteen dogs, ten dogs in the heat, f- four bites each dog, and tackle them in the dark. Yeah, over and over and over <laughs> again. Yeah. and they they forget that they end up forgetting that it's a female. But we did notice also that without the equipment on on some of the muzzle scenarios the dogs would not hit the females and um so those are guys that have never done that and i don't know about i always ask the agencies i'm like are you allowed to bite women they're like yeah there's no rule against it i'm like then you need to be practicing biting women 
Um, we do in Canton. We've bit them. We try to. I think almost every bite we've had in Canton on a woman was a surprise that fuck. it was a woman. We'll bite aliens. Right. Oh, yeah. I don't know. We'll bite anybody. I don't give a fuck. Bite teenagers, women. <laughs> so <Yeah>. so <laughs> those are some things we're seeing. Um, what else? Uh, Hagner. Hagner was a character this year. Yeah. He, you know, and we give him a ton of shit, but he's been a pretty like integral part to um, a lot of these. Um, he's an associate instructor, uh, I guess, kind of our head decoy. And or one of our head decoys that is able to go back and forth between some of the smaller scenarios instructing and then some of the uh, being kind of like the running, the larger side of the big scenarios with the decoy side. So, but yeah, Hagner, um, fantastic trainer, fantastic decoy, great friend, and he's also a fucking shit show. So, <laughs> he, uh, yeah. yeah, we love Sean. And I'll tell you this about Shane, he knows it too. When he comes out here, if we go partying the, the night before, and he comes back in late. I don't care if it's 20 minutes till post time. Get your ass up yep. and let's go out there. You made an adult decision. Now it's, you have to do the adult work the next day. <laughs> and he always answers the bell. Always. He throws up. Oh, it's, yeah. It pukes. pukes every time. Yeah. yeah if, well, so does Ted when dogs blow the uh, well, yeah. gonna, well, after we come After we come back from the commercial, we're going to talk about our favorite scenarios and our favorite dogs. And I, my favorite scenario involves me throwing up all the time. But, yeah, um, there, there's a lot of puking. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so if you're if struggling in your group, you know, I want to mention the group in um, Flint, Michigan. Um, great group of guys. Um, a lot of really well-selected dogs. Um, they, I think, were probably a little behind the curve in terms of decoys, like decoying. Um, we had Luke... Um, Fabio or Matt uh, came up. We had some good decoys mm -hmm. there, and oh, yeah. those dogs Scott came down. Yep, Scott. Yeah, and he's here too, Scott Larue. Um, We had those dogs turn. Several of those dogs turned into fucking beasts in just three days of good decoy work and good leash work. And I, I was sort of shocked at some of them. I was like, God dang, like that dog's an animal. Even on day two, when we started doing handle the drum circle, one of those dogs was just was pushing one of those decoys almost, I mean, like pushing them into the wall yeah, without leash right. tension. I was like, geez. So, so I, speaking I, of that, right after, right after we're done with the PowerPoint on day one, we do grip checks and, and that might sound relatively basic to guys. And there, there are groups that are pretty solid on their grips. Um, but Ray, that the grip check station is one of the ones that you run. What do you see uh, hole wise on that and and grip check is we back tie the dog and then we usually give them a bite on the tricep and a bite on the bicep for the most part yeah i mean we'll mix up you know tricep bicep we'll sometimes go to the ground with them just to kind of see where they're at but uh, we've seen dogs that are just won't even engage they they're going to avoidance right away just in frontal presentation mm -hmm. so that tells me they've been doing nothing but runoff bites and things like that so um legs like they may not have been shown a leg so we ask yeah. the handlers you know what's their primary target and then we try to show them some alternate stuff just to see what they'll take and a lot of dogs are just hard set and going to one spot and one spot only whether that's a tricep or armpit or some kind of weird thing but we also see a lot of that typewriter action um that's why we want to work them on a back tie we want to know what, what dogs are going to get weird when they get you know get on the ground with the decoy in the dark and, and there's environmentals going on around them because if they're showing that weirdness on the back tie, we're definitely going to have some issues going into the, the, the more complex scenarios that we run. So I think, again, the whole point of this 
seminar is to show people how to properly implement scenario-based training. It's not let's mimic some bullshit we saw on YouTube or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's part of it. You can see it, but you don't see what got those teams to be able to do it properly. I think that's what people need to understand about what we do. Yeah, the other thing they don't do, Ted, and you're, you run the other side of that station, is we definitely see the guys don't understand opposition reflex and oh, working yes. on, on pushing grips. You want to talk about that? So, you know, and there was a big deal uh, recently online about, like, why well, grip matters or doesn't matter. It fucking matters. Targeting matters and grip matters. Um, it's a long conversation. We don't have to get into it now. But, um, you know, a lot of the grip that we create – um, is caused by opposition reflex. When Scott and I get dogs in at the kennel and Eric does the same thing, you know, we create that nice, firm, full, and calm grip, and we do it um, for a lot of reasons. There's like five main reasons. But <clears throat> the big thing for us at HRD, um, why we need to see that, um, one is the dog may be down there by himself for quite a while. He needs to be able to work that grip for, quite, for a long time, and the grip quality needs to be maintained, too, um, it's a barometer for an experienced decoy to understand where that dog is at in his headspace in terms of pressure. So the decoy is able to channel if we need to. So those two things are super important. The other portion of it is one thing that Eric and I just, and, and Ray all just completely stress all the time is neutrality to cover officers. So when we go in to handcuff somebody, you know, the dogs can't be looking around and starting to fucking fight with the handler and turning out and trying to tag one of the backing guys and whatever else. So when we do those grip checks, I'm looking at safety too. So I'm standing there, I'm evaluating grip, and then I'll push the decoy onto his hands or her, or her hands or knees if they're on a tricep. And then I'll come over the top of the decoy, watch, and I'm watching the dog the entire time to make sure he's not going to come up and try and blast me because there'll be times where, you know, I'll be working in close proximity to this dog over the next two and a half days. And he won't have a leash on. <laughs> hmm. And the last, and if I if I need to be fast, I just need to know. <laughs> I need to know which one I need to be fast with. So you know that's a uh, uh, a skill that we look at during that. But the opposition portion of it, a lot of handlers, and I don't know if this is skipped over in handler school or what it is, but don't when we say when I tell my guys set a grip, like they understand what I mean. They I mean provide tension on a leash and then give the dog slack, allow him to punch in and drive. Once his grip is set, then you can yank him. We do an exercise, the fishing exercise, where that's super important, right? Um, the New England guys are usually really good uh, with leashes, and they're good with that. Uh, but they, a lot of them aren't allowed to deploy a dog off-leash for, like, any reason at all. So, um, but, you know, a lot of times these dogs' grips suffer um, because they're either doing no back tension ever or the handlers don't understand how that works. Um, and we've seen some like dramatic improvements in three days of saying, set his grip, let him work. And then working on experienced decoy that understands opposition reflex also is a huge, important aspect of maintenance training for the dog's entire career. So, yeah, we still see a lot of guys, um, there's, there's a scenario that I try to do at each one, if I can find it where the dog's way up high and the guy's oh, on a 30 foot yeah. leash and they're we have them out from a distance and all the, I have to remind all the guys to stop pulling on the leash because they're just right. creating opposition reflex. They're pulling. And I know why they're doing it. Yeah. They don't want their dog to let go their dog to out and then rebite the guy. So their plan is to out and rip the dog and, and keep the dog back away from the guy because they know their dog or they, they don't believe that their dog is going to out. So pulling tension on the leash. So I always go up there and, and all right, let's go ahead and out your dog and remember go loose on that leash we'll deal with it don't worry if he if he outs 
that's a start. And then if he regrips, we'll deal with it. But if you just keep holding tension on the back of that, uh, he's not going to out. Yeah, that's what we tell him. You know, your verbal is saying out, but your nonverbal is saying keep biting. Yeah. <laughs> so stop putting. And then you'll, if I'm running that station, you'll hear me yell, stop pulling on the fucking leash. And the dog outs and they turn to look at me like I'm a wizard. And I'm like, recall him now. Like, <laughs> quick. <laughs> like, like, holy shit, he outed. I'm like, yeah, you're not pulling on the leash. <laughs> Every time I see that, I think of uh, the, uh, the scene in Animal House where the guy's got the girl and she's passed out. And he's got the devil on one side and the, and the yeah. angel on the other side. That's exactly what it is. The devil's like, fuck her, fuck her. And the other one's like, don't you do that. You're a good boy. So uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, um, putting in layman's terms, but that, that's kind of what you're doing to the dog. Um, all right, so we'll move on real quick. We're going to talk about one more subject, and then we'll go uh, do our commercial break. Let's talk about... So this is a way for if you're listening and you have not been to an HRD event and you haven't been training with uh, Ted, Ray, or, or I, um, when we talk about the environmental holes that we're seeing, you're going to, so a lot of you are going to shake your head and you're going to be like, yeah, that's me, man. That's my dog. Or shit, I don't know if my dog could do that because we don't do it. Um, but we're seeing it in every single HRD seminar around the country. Yeah. from dogs with multiple vendors, like all kinds of different vendors, all kinds of different trainers, all kinds of different handlers, policies, procedures, everything. Not Now, say we average, what do you think, about 15 dogs a group maybe. Uh, we've had yeah. 30 dog groups. We've had eight dog groups or whatever. There's always a few, if not more than well, a did, few I of each the, one. I did some of the math. I, assuming, so this is our last one. It starts tomorrow. If we have teams from Kentucky... Um, which very well might. Um, we'll have dogs from 22 states that we've been in front of the last 10 months uh, or 11 months, um, and we're closing on 170-something handlers um, from 22 states. So it, the, the cross-section that we're talking about is, is large, and a large cross-section of skill levels, a large cross-section of vendors, a large cross-section of, of policies and procedures, and a large cross-section of handling skill. So, Ray, what are the, uh, you want to talk about the, we don't have to go into the individual scenarios, but the, all of the different types of environmental things that we throw at the dogs, what are all the th bunch of them that we're looking that at? They're struggling with or well? In general, like every dog gets, has to do it. Well, we've got slick floors, passive presentation, distorted presentation, um, climbing up over things, going in and out of vehicles from multiple angles. Um, Slayer, yeah, the music, uh, yes, Slayer, yeah. noise, yeah. fog, fog machine, Slayer yeah. playing in the background. Yeah. Some dogs don't like Slayer. Oh, fuck no. them. But dark rooms, <laughs> dark rooms. Yes, yeah. we do pretty much everything in the dark in nasty, scary places, which decoys really enjoy. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we'll get into we'll get into uh, why we do so much environmental stuff. But Ted, talk about you. You mentioned a lot of the HRDs about um, the correlation between your grip and environmental problems so and that's a scott thing um so you know one of the things that i learned early on long time ago was that if i have a dog that has an environmental problem during testing they're probably already gonna have they're gonna have a grip issue or if i have a dog during testing that has a grip issue in terms of he's presented and if it's a and it, it depends if you're talking about it like an experienced dog that just hasn't been shown something versus a very young dog that has a shit ton of drive 
and you give him a presentation, say an inside bite, whether it's inside forearm, inside bicep, and the dog gets funky, if he's normally full, firm, full and calm on the outside, I guarantee you he will have some environmental wonkiness on the other side of that. So I can almost predict it when we do grip checks, um, dogs that get fucking weird on an inside bite or a presentation that's not normal. I can almost guarantee that that dog usually has an environmental problem and it's, I don't know what it's going to be. Um, but you know, so we'll talk about the elevator in a second, but that's a very like crazy, we don't get to do it all the time. We have access to it. We use elevators all the time, but it's, it's a, it's a strong correlation, almost the point where, um, like when, when I test green dogs, if a dog will not grip correctly genetically or with just a tiny amount of work, um, during testing, I can pretty much guarantee that it's going to be loud noises, dark rooms, open back. Something is going to fuck with that dog. Now, is it a genetic problem or is it a one that is overcome through exposure? It's hard to tell just in a few minutes, but, um, it's something that Eric, you always say all the time, you know, sometimes we do shit and people are like, what am I going to have to do that? And you're like, that's not the fucking point. Right. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this to expose them to <laughs> like literally everything that we can think of uh, so that there is no surprises. And then so, you know, I mean, you have a dog in your group that like has what, 900 fucking street bites and he doesn't like his feet being off the ground. Yeah, he, he definitely struggles with that. Um, I, and he hasn't failed on the street with it, but at training, you know, you get him up off the ground and uh, he's real weird about it. He doesn't, he doesn't care for, I don't know why he'll, he'll do everything else. Same thing with Blair Witch, right? You have another one. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, um, Ray, of all the things that we test, where do you see through all the HRD stuff, one or two of those, maybe two of them where you're going to see the most holes, the most oh. Yeah, oh, problems. passive presentations. Right, I was going to say, I know number what you're going to say. Number <laughs> one, the distorted presentation, probably number two. So somebody covered up in a sheet or par- partially exposed. Um, the passive thing's a big deal, I mean, because you see how many actual street bites occur like that, but then... You know, they go back to the training groups. It's nothing but some rookie running downfield doing flea bites. So dogs aren't being shown. Um, <laughs> I think we posted an article written by Justin Rigney not that long ago that on yeah. active aggression. Yep. Um, if you haven't read that, you need to. Because um, if you're creating yourself all sorts of headaches and problems, if you're introducing that dog to shitty decoy work right out of the gate. Um, but do yourself a favor and, and read that article. Yeah, that is a good one. And you know, shout out to Justin. Yeah, it was a fantastic one. Yeah, shout out to Justin for sure. Yeah, him and his fucking beard and bald head. Mm-hmm. No more beard. Beard's <laughs> oh, gone. that's right. It's fucking kind of yeah, damn it. Yeah. You know, and everybody asking like, when are we gonna have to do this? Because there's, um, if you listen to the the private podcast that Eric and I did, you hear we talk about Blur Witch and we talk about Zombie. Um, my local guys, um, one of my local dogs, uh, he's assigned to the task Marshall Task Force and he's assigned to the SWAT team. Um, just had a SWAT call out where a kid all. In hindsight, they found out he was all jacked up on PCP, broke into an old 80-year-old woman's house, said he was armed. Turns out he wasn't, uh, but he full-on did what I call the shithead burrito, where he wrapped himself up in a sheet to hide and laid there passively. And the dog went in and blasted him. I mean, because we've done that a hundred times. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the SWAT guy, you know, this captain kind of asked the handler, How, what's he going to do? And the handler's like, he's going to go in and bite him. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean... So we do, and it happens a lot. Every almost all of my dogs that are local have had bites like that, where people are passive and hide, and they wrap themselves up in a sheet, and it doesn't look like a person, but it smells like one. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. Uh, uh, some of the problems that we're seeing 
in some of the scenarios are just flat out the lack of never having seen it. Yep. And we can tell that because when they don't do it or they don't do it all that well, we rerun them. Yep. Usually they nuke it if they have the, you know, if it's not a genetic issue. Vehicles. That's a prime example. 100%. Yep. Vehicle, uh, we we have them dive through windows and everything like that. And you see dogs get pretty wonky in there. And a dog that jumps in and then lets go as the decoy is moving out of the car guaranteed has problems in a bunch of other different areas as far as spaces yep and if you think about it and i tell guys this all the time cars are one of those things that seem pretty straightforward because we have them as a you know kind of a point of fact of daily life in the united states but dogs don't and if a dog is funky they can't get away like if they're in a car with somebody and they get scared they can't get away from and that's going through the dog's head a lot and you can see it and i can almost predict on day one which which those dogs are going to be like me i don't know now typically the fucking malinois that have never done it you know the drive just the blinding drive just gets them through it and they tear shit up in the car and they'll hit the side of the car and bounce off of it and you know, you got to kind of like <laughs> smack their spinal cord yeah. on the window, yeah. top of the door frame. Yeah, you got to slow them down a little bit. But for the most part, you know, vehicles are one of those things where, uh, you know, I've argued for years that a vehicle extraction, a simple one, um, ought to be part of a national certification standard. Um, and if there's any bite that is tailor made for dogs, it's a long line vehicle extraction. And of course, nobody listens to me, but. So, um, but guys do it all the time. And I'm like, if you're going to fuck something up, this is where Mm -hmm. it happens because you're going to do a felony stop. You're not going to be by yourself. You're going to be in front of a sergeant and or a lieutenant. And the dog's going to be like, no, I'm not going to decide to get in the car. I'm going to go bite one of these dudes instead. And then you're going to look like an asshole. Yeah. So (laughs) a lot of guys come to us at HRD. And uh, when we start doing environmental stuff on the first day, it's the first time they've ever seen it. Dark rooms, slick floors. Uh, up off the ground, the frontal presentation that, that Ray, that's a big one where they're like, we actually don't do frontals too much, which is crazy. But um, uh, then we get the op- we get the other side of that where guys are like, uh, yeah, he doesn't like this and he doesn't like that, but they don't work on it to try to see if it's oh, yeah. overcome. There are some dogs you cannot, they, they will not. Those are dogs that I don't believe should be out on the road. Dogs that cannot overcome even... Even I'll give them a shot, man. I'll give them a try. If I have a decoy standing on top of a hood of a car, your dog should go up there and go bite him. Yeah. I mean, that should be the highest value thing he wanted. Now, had you, if the dog has never done that before, okay, we give you that, but we're going to try it. We're going to work through successive approximation within five minutes. He should be going up over that five, 10 minutes should be up and over that car. Um, but if your dog, goes into straight up avoidance and things like that you you have to take a serious look at yourself or not yourself at your dog and say i I, this it's i'm telling you it's gonna you're gonna get hurt Dog's gonna hurt you yeah um and it's because that's why the environmentals are so freaking important man and you got to work on them and if your dog has trouble with some things work on that (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? And not the shit that you already could have. Right. No offense, but stop doing all the fucking easy bullshit detection hides, man. That's what everybody does. Oh, they spend the first half of their training day doing detection. Get the fuck out of here, man. If it if you're doing detection, it better be hard. It, you know what I mean? If it's just five cars and four hides 
Real easy, basic test shit every single week. Get out of here, man. Here's a hard one. You can take this scenario. We don't do this on HRD, but I do this one of my guys. Um, I've got two. I got the red shit box to Painville and the blue shit box to Painville at the kennel. <laughs> They're two Suburbans that are just like totally assed out. But um, I'll make the dogs do a uh, felony stop on a long line with a blank in the first car. So they send the dog in thinking that they're going to get a bite. Nothing in the car. Then they immediately have to put a six foot on and do a detection problem on the car that's three feet away from it right then and it's timed. And yeah, my guys are good at it because I make them do it all the time. But you'll see dudes and we do skills transitions at HRD, their fucking heads explode. Or the handlers would get super frustrated and the dogs are just like... Yeah. <laughs> Turn into confetti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break real quick. Uh, we come back... Uh, the three of us are going to run down um, our favorite dogs and uh, our favorite scenarios uh, from 2019. So probably my favorite product, one that actually really delivers what they say has been quick turned by vet care. We use it on uh, all kinds of dogs in our kennels. It's, it's fast acting wound care for all species of animals. You can use it on yourself. Dad and I both have done it. We got, yep. cut. We got a lot of people doing it. We get a lot of testimonials on our social media from people showing pictures of what they've done with their dog. It's Quick Derm by Vet Care. Ted, talk about discount codes and where to find it. Yeah, if you go to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR, you get 10% off your first order. And there's rumors that she upgrades the sizes too if you use that. So that may happen. It may not. You never know. But yeah, it, it keeps small things from becoming big things. Uh, so get some and toss it in your bag. It's t- temperature stable, so you don't have to worry about it cooking or freezing up in the patrol car. But yeah, vetcare. US. We love our partners down in Florida at Southern Coast Canine. We love Bill and Peggy Heiser. And of course, Danny Cornier, who's their right-hand man, is one of our favorite people as well. They do a fantastic job of selecting green dogs and training them up and getting patrols, handlers through patrol schools. And they also have a list of decoy schools and a full gamut of detection seminars as well. Eric, where can you find them? SouthernCoastCanine.com. That's a letter K, the number nine.com. Give them a call at 877-903-DOGS. I can tell you this, every seminar that we've been at where there's been Southern Coast Canine Dogs, they've all been solid. Every single one of them, never have to worry about it. We get right to work. SouthernCoastCanine.com. I've been dying to get this company on as as a sponsor for the podcast, Horizon Structures. You go to their website and check it out. They have got some of the neatest things you can build for a kennel. Why do all the work yourself? Have somebody else do it. They will set it up at your location delivered anywhere in the continental U.S. Uh, Ted, talk about their website real quick. Yeah, it's horizonstructures.com. And if you go over and check it out, you can see the list of choices, which is almost mind-boggling for everything from the outside to the inside. And you can go from completely mild and unfinished on the inside to completely decked out like a surgical suite with stainless steel, everything and heated floors and anything you can think of in between. And the big thing that you mentioned is they deliver anywhere in the United States and they set it up. So when it's set up, when they drop it off, you can put dogs in it immediately that day. And uh, yeah, saves a ton of time, but hit them up. Horizonstructures.com. 888-447-4337. They have an on-staff engineer that walks you through the entire process from start to finish, which is excellent customer service, which makes it much, much easier to get back to what you do well, which is training dogs. Yep, we just finished up the uh, hits 
uh, interviews and got them posted up from Chicago. Uh, next year, we're going to be doing the same thing, except Eric and I are also going to be instructing and bringing our unique brand of scenario-based training to the masses there, and it will be the masses in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's going to be the 18th through the 21st of 2020. Uh, hits K9, letter K number nine dot net is where you're going to go find all the information to get signed up. So Eric, what did you think? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, I, I loved it. You know, Hits is the biggest and the best. They have the most handlers that come there. So like if you're a company that's wanting to be a vendor, you will not reach any more people in this business than it hits. 1,200 people. Know, a lot of people yeah. like me have never really been to Scottsdale and Phoenix. I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be in August, but they got air conditioning like crazy. Yeah, 1,200 handlers and 100-ish uh, vendors. Yeah, they make it, they don't oversell the vendor thing too. It's the ratio is very appropriate. So if you're a vendor and you're looking, get on at hitsk9.net or call Jeff Baird at 863-529-5113. Hits, the letter K, the number nine, dot net. Uh, it's no secret that Eric and I use a lot of equipment around the kennels at Van Ness and at Torchlight. Uh, so for e-collars and ball popping stuff, I use Dogtra. I use the 1900S hands-free and their ball trainer, which is a popper and a dropper. I think I've got like six of those things now. And they're all on one remote, so I hide them in our cars and on our buses, and I hide them in places inside the detection building. So we have like six stations that we run the dogs on. Super, super clean way of doing it, and uh, I modify mine with magnets so I can stick them anywhere. Uh, my handlers like the 1900S because they're they're putting the button on their plate carrier so they don't have to mess with a uh, handheld remote and manipulate that at the same time. But uh, Eric, where do you get this stuff? Go to dogtrut.com. Don't forget to use your discount code as WDR10. That is all caps. WDR10, 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. Take a look at that new 3500X. It's their new uh, two-dog system for trainers. I'm telling you, it's the best two-dog system I've ever seen out there. Dogtra.com, WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200. Some of our favorite people are, are out there in North Carolina, Highland Canine Training. Full gamut services, everything from green dogs, finished detection dogs, finished patrol dogs, all the way up to seminars, whatever you need there, full service facility. You can hit them up at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Yep, we love those folks down there. Their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com, is so easy to navigate around and see everything that they have. They have uh, teams from all over the world that come there to train there, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Challenge coins seem to be like currency in the canine industry. Everybody has them and everybody trades them and everybody collects them. So the guys over at Combat Bet make some really, really nice metal ones and they make some really, really nice poker chip ones. Um, if you've ever seen Eric and I in person, you've gotten some of these and I've got some for Torchlight. He has some for Van S. We have them for Working Dog Radio and HRD also. Uh, they do a great job and they're super high quality and the print on them is phenomenal. In fact, if you want, you can contact them. They'll send you sample packs so you can see exactly what it is, and they'll help you with all the artwork, too. Eric, where do you get them? We get them at combatbet.com. That's combatbet.com. They have a discount code for us. It's Working Dog Radio, all spelled out in capitals, Working Dog Radio. And if we see you in person, you better have one in your pocket because I'm going to drop one on you, and you're going to owe me a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We love our partnership with RayAllen.com. They've been doing business, ethical business, RayAllen.com. They've got everything you need to know for uh, all dogs, not just not just working dogs. You guys that are training pets and training police dogs or, or have pets, check them out, RayAllen.com. Ted, there's a way for them to get a discount, correct? 
Yep, you go over there and you use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off of your next order. They've got the Tricos gear, they've got vet care stuff, they've got some of the Working Dog Dry Goods muzzles and their own muzzles. They have that new rad harness that they just came out with, the Nomad, that everybody seems to be loving. Um, some of my guys are using it right now, one of the prototypes, and he's already had some uh, some good work in it. So, RayAllen.com, use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. All right, guys, we are back. Uh, Working Dog Radio teaming up with our uh, HRD side, uh, recapping 2019 HRD, some, some con- pretty consistent things we see throughout the country. Um, and when we talk about this, guys, with the holes and everything, there are plenty of teams that we're coming across that don't have any holes, yeah. that their training is good, their dog is good, their handling is good. And th- we just give them a couple scenarios for them that they've never thought of things to do to challenge their dog. They're always wanting, those guys want to challenge their dog and see exactly what the dog can do. So uh, we've talked about um, dog holes, right? Things that we're seeing with the dogs. Now uh, we're going to talk about holes that we're seeing um, with the handlers and the handler is maybe working as a team together. Part of the slide is we talk about training scars, um, creating training scars, uh, so, Ray, what do you see um, that you've seen pretty typically as a hole or a training scars that guys have, have demonstrated? Well, I mean, number one, obviously the fixation on the dog itself and forgetting basic tactics. Uh, we've, we've taken some flack online um, from some people you know, thought we were out here teaching tactics. Um, you know, I have a military background, but I mean, I'm, I was never a police officer. Um, but I can tell you, I know what there's, what's taught in the police academy, and I've seen it with all the officers that I've worked with. Um, standing in the middle of a doorway or a hallway is probably not the most tactically sound advice I would hand out to anyone. So yeah, do we give some tactical advice? Yeah, like stand behind cover and let your dog do its job. So things like that get pointed out. But I think the just the focus on the dog takes their mind off being a police officer. I think Ted says that every one of these things is you're, you're a cop first, you're a canine handler second. So don't get killed with your leash in your hands. So I think all those little teeny tactical you know points we throw out there, you know, really get people's attention. They start to realize, hell yeah, I am focusing too much on the damn dog. I didn't check this corner. Um, all those type of things unfold when we do these scenarios that flag that. So one thing that somebody might think, Ted, that is a dog problem, but I believe it's a handler and training problem, is the dogs that won't work away from the guys. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So we see that routinely. And so there's two things that cause that I see. So the problem looks like this. The dog goes down away from the... And I see it in Eric. You see it in detection, too. So... The dog is consistently checking back during a building search, during a detection problem uh, for where the handler's at. They're constantly looking for feedback from the handler. If the handler is not in the room or not near them or not in eyesight, the dog is like, uh, you know, where's dad or mom? Like, where, where's my handler? What am I doing? Um, and the dogs are, you know, either coming off of by dogs that just fucking crush shit on, you know, day one, day two or day three, depending on how we run it. Um, where those dogs shit the bed as soon as the handler's out of the picture. Um, some of the stuff that causes that, one is obsessively working on verbal outs. We had a dog um, from a group that anytime the handler said anything, he coughed once and the dog popped off and turned and looked at him. 
Oh, yeah, I saw and, that several yeah, times from him. Yeah, and I was like, and I finally told him, I was like, hey, I just want you to not fucking talk. <laughs> like, because anytime he'd be like, good boy, and the dog would come off his bite and turn around and look at him, right? But the dog had a, obviously had a super clean out. Um, and the other portion of that, too, is uh, time. So you'd have dogs, um, and they're usually young dogs or old dogs that aren't experienced or hadn't seen it. And when they start getting into minutes on a bite, they're like, where the fuck is my handler? At? And they would just stop. Like they would full on just stop biting and then just like out and just kind of stand there for a second and wait for the handler because they hadn't been exposed to a bite for that amount of length. So there's a specific scenario in mind um, brown hole. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of guys, um, talk about, you know, Daryl Gaunt mentioned this, I think we had him on, we still need to have Gooseby on. He said he would come on now that he's retired. He has no excuse. Although we'll probably have to track his ass down. Um, you don't want to let dogs drive your tactics, right? So if you have a dog and you decide to take the tactic where you send him down the hallway to somebody and you still have to hand clear, you can't abandon basic safety and basic tactics to get there in a hurry. But you have to understand that the dog needs to be able to work away from you for that amount of time, as long as it takes to get there safely. And you have to understand that a dog is going to be fine. Like he's been exposed to it multiple times so that you can continue to do your job as a cop, not a canine handler and not make mistakes moving down through this scenario. But that's one of the things that we see routinely is dogs not willing to work away from their handler. Um, and Eric, you see it in tracking all the time. Like dudes fucking walking up dogs asses. Yeah. The, uh, the, or yeah, the guys, you know, they right. get, when they, when they first get their tracking training, assuming that the, that the trainer was good at tracking, um, when you're, when they're tracking, uh, the dog stops, the handler stops. Right. But bad habits, training scars that we're talking about develop. And then the handler just keeps walking or keeps moving. And then, and the dog just is like, oh, fuck, okay, I guess we're going for a walk. But um, the big thing is, and this is a, this is a training scar that, that I've done, and we've all done it, where we have a lot of days in a row where we have the handler, get your dog, bring him in, give your warnings, unhook him, and let him go. And as soon as he lets him go, the handler starts moving down behind him, or he's right there. Like the dog goes and makes, turns the corner, goes into the room we know is the hot room. Boom, the handler takes off running. And so that as soon as the dog is on the bite, which is maybe only 10 seconds, the handler whoop appears and is right on him. And that's definitely a training scar that, that uh, we see a lot. And that's from um, just that training, not, not working on the handler doing smart decisions and you can see even when they know they're at a scenario based training seminar that they still do it which means it's ingrained in them and it's yeah. good, they're going to do it on the street you know it's it's the the old adage of the um the guy on the range the policeman who's, who's shooting it is not doesn't work on properly clearing malfunctions instead he holds his hand up to let him know that he has a malfunction and this, I don't know that this really happens all this much anymore, but in the 90s, 80s and 90s, it was a very real thing. And then guys would get on the street and get a shooting and have a double feed or, or a failure to eject or something and have a stovepipe or something and raise their hand in the middle of a fucking firefight. It's real. The shit happens. And so we see it where the dogs, um, I knew I was doing it with my third dog, Zeus is his name. He would... 
go down. We had this school that we used to train in a lot that had inset doors. So the classroom door was about four feet from the hallway inset. He would go find the room that the guy was in at the door because his was supposed to bark. And he would stop and turn back and look at me. And then if he saw me, then he would start alerting on the door. If he didn't, he would run and come and find me. Almost like some lassie shit. Yeah. Like he'd run over to me, look at me and turn around and run away. And I'm like, fucker. So I knew I had been up just up his ass or at least always being within his eyesight. Right. And um, that's a problem. You know, and the scenario that this highlights, uh, we call brown hole. Um, it's just short for don't, don't chase the brown hole, um, which is kind of what Eric is talking about right now. The one thing that universally across from Florida to Oklahoma to Texas to New York to where else have we been this year? Wherever. It's <laughs> Pennsylvania. And the universally, every single, just about every single mistake in that scenario, and that is a big, complex scenario, is every mistake in there um, on the handler side is related to speed. And, um, we were recently in one of the other cities and one of the guys, and I ask guys all the time, I'm like, you always fucking go that fast. They're like, yeah. I'm like, all right. You mean like, what's the fucking pro like you in a hurry or like, what's the deal? And they're like, Oh, you know, they just kind of look at me and shrug. They're like, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't be in a hurry. I'm like, right. So, and it kind of dawned on me a little bit. Um, at one of the last scenario or one of the last conferences or uh, seminars, one of the dudes was like, yeah, you know, I kind of defaulted to, um, active shooter training which active shooter training you have information where the shooter's at you know how many there are generally and you know an approximate location so you're taught to move as quickly as possible to that area and you know eric brings up a good point you know that's a lot of the times that's the only training guys are getting i mean eric so like in canton which is not a small department like your basic patrol guys how much um training do they get in the academy and clearing buildings um, very little. Um, and it's, it's not just Canton, it's, it's everywhere. Right. So what happens is, um, and you know, it goes all the way back to Columbine. Um, Columbine starts, um, active shooter training nobody had been doing it. And then, um, everybody started teaching the quad, which was a, like a, a diamond formation for get the first four dudes and let's go. Right. And we, we know that he's in this wing of the building we can hear gunshots and we're just blowing by rooms you know um maybe maybe the two guys on the sides are gun checking it as they go by but we're getting getting down to where that shooter is and that was pretty high speed good training for guys that never ever get any type of training so then uh we fast forward and the, that training has evolved but it's still the only training that guys are getting at their department is active shooter very few departments um, do slow, methodical building clearing, yet they're doing it every single day on the road, every day, yeah. every shift. I mean, everybody listening alarms. To this, yeah, even guys that are listening to this, that how many alarm calls do you get on a shift that you got to go and clear it? And then they're like, yeah, like <laughs> I get four, four or five a day. Depends, you know, midnight shift guys get them all the time. Day shifts, Sunday mornings. Every motherfucking doctor's office in your city, the alarm goes off for whatever reason. Yep. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, everything's, all the alarms going off. You and one or two guys, maybe if you're out west in a big department or a large department, maybe there's six or seven of you, or just you and your dog, and you're clearing, and you have no training at it. Um, so the only training you've gotten is has been um, 
active shooter because that's where we that's sadly where we've headed in this society and so we they have to answer to it well and you know i mean if everybody goes back all the way to the very first podcast and this and that is the call that killed jethro yeah when jethro uh got killed he went one way in the final room they were in and ryan went the other way and ryan knowing that his dog was an odor because he's worked with him a million times you could tell ryan still correctly went and cleared his sector the dog went left ryan went to the right the dog the guy was waiting to ambush ryan and as the dog turned the corner and went after him you know towards him um the guy shot him five times the dude broke into a grocery store at three o'clock in the morning with a gun who yeah, does that right somebody waiting to kill cop, a cop. killer yep or he was going to kill the maintenance guy. But had Ryan been running up his ass with a training scar like that, right up the dog's ass, that guy would have got rounds off first. Yep. He, he would have, he's got, he was aimed waiting. He was standing next to the exit door. Yeah, waiting. ready to go. Boom, boom, boom. He would have got rounds off. So, because um, if Ryan had the training scar following his dog, he wouldn't have pied that corner. He would have just ran in at my dog's an odor. Maybe run right up his butthole. Um, so, you know, unfortunately Jethro died from that, but, um, had the, the training that we were doing, Ben real static bullshit training. Um, he, he, uh, Ryan would be dead. So we have something coming in 2020. We haven't fully released all the details cause we're still working it out, but we've partnered up with uh, Griffin group down in North Carolina and, uh, we're going to host the LEO survivability seminar down there, which is going to be for all law enforcement, not just canine. Um, we're going to work, obviously, the canine piece of it. But a big portion of this is exposing a lot of officers to things they may not have access to in training. Um, big piece of that would be room clearing. And these guys do this every day for all the top tier military groups in the area and stuff like that, all the three letter agencies. So these guys know what the hell they're doing. We do it with Sims, so it makes it damn pretty damn real. Yeah, um, yeah, but the, the stuff that we're <laughs> gonna be throwing out there for that, uh, we will have more information coming. We can start following that right now. It's the LEO Survivability Seminar, and you can check out Griffin Security Solutions in uh, North Carolina, and you, we're gonna have more information coming in January about that. But Yeah, it's gonna be in September, so. Uh, September 2020. There you go. That so, uh, what's everybody's memorable moments, dogs, scenarios? <laughs> um, well, the scenarios we all do are the same. I mean, except right. for a couple little things we can we can throw in there. Um, there have been a few dogs, um, memorably for the wrong reasons, um, that we had to pull the guy aside and say afterwards, Hey man, I would not work that dog on the road. Yeah. Like, and we're honest about it. I'm not an asshole about it. Uh, I worked that dog. I, I worked her for three years that right. wouldn't bite anybody. Now she didn't have the environmental problems, um, or anything like that. She would do all the scenarios that we do here. As long as there was equipment, she'd do them all. She was, she was great at that, but she just wasn't going to bite a human being for real. Um, so I, I know it's, and, and I work in a day, place far more dangerous than where these guys work. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're not handling dangerous calls every day. Right. And um, so, so those dogs, we had to pull aside and talk to them. And um, uh, I feel really, really bad to do that. But it, I feel it's our duty, you know, to tell those guys like that. Um, you know, we know at, 
I don't think at, at any of the seminars. How many did we do this year, Ray? Fuck, I, oh, I don't know. I, Twelve, I, I think. Something like that. Well, I don't <laughs> think there was. We, there was always someone at every everyone that we knew right. that we met at either another event, uh, another HRD event, or like Blue Line or Hits or or something like that. There was always people that we knew. Yeah. Um, so we had fun, you know, we had some, some off duty time fun, um, some places, uh, met some really fucking interesting Uber drivers. Um, you down in Texas, you folks got some fucked up drunk driving Uber drivers, Uber drivers. She had a half gallon of fucking Jim Beam that was empty, like rolling around (laughs) the fucking floor of the car. Uber drivers that were pimps. Oh, that too. Hookers. Yes. That was, that was, uh, yeah. Being sexually exploited by uh, uh, one of them. We were, um, we were getting trafficked. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorites is uh, um, we all have a great relationship with our buddy, uh, Joe Papsadero. <laughs> yes. Joe's an old-time handler. He's in that Boston training group. Um, we first, I first met him in Albany. I think you met him the year before in Albany, right? Yeah. You've met him a couple times. Him and Ray are, are good friends. They bust each other's balls online a lot. Um he is in that training group. Uh, Joe was on scene for the capture of the Boston bomber that was inside the fucking boat. You know, when they caught him, he was yeah. on scene. So he's been there, done that. But we love to break his fucking balls. <laughs> Joe, I don't check my corners, Pepsodero. Well, <laughs> guess what? He checked his corners this year. Yeah. We, we suitcased him yeah, up. He did. JJ and I the first year. And this year, we could not trip him up to save your life. So shout out to Joe for... No yeah. shit, man. We, we created a lesson that he followed. So, <laughs> yeah. so one of the scenarios we do... Uh, has a if we if we have a speaker to do it we have a lot of slayer death metal and we were in the boston training group everybody was into it it's the start of day two it wakes everybody up and it's just a ton of noise and everybody's having a blast at this thing and in there and headbanging and watching and yelling and cheering and joe came in and what'd you play for him so george michael <laughs> yeah no careless whisper yeah yeah, george michael. Well, yeah from wham yeah, it was yeah. all the way back to wham. all of a sudden everybody's like rah, 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 rah. we're like here comes joe careless whisper <laughs> oh, oh the video is fantastic <laughs> that is, that that's actually great. uh drum circle is one of my favorite um, scenarios uh, for a couple reasons. One, it's the one that we consistently get a lot of feedback on um, in terms of um, my guys have actually had bites like that um, and we get a lot of feedback from people that are like, I actually had to do something or have done something similar to this. Um, and then the other thing that happens, <laughs> we so here's the deal, like it's super fucking short and it's super loud, like really, really loud. And if your dog has an environmental issue, um, you'll expose it here. And if you have a dog that's kind of a dickhead um, that gets defensive, this is also where it gets funky for them because they go way deep in defense. And we've had several dogs. um, (laughs) We've had several dogs blow their anal glands, not (laughs) not from fear, but just from fucking stress, just because of how stressful it is because I'm hitting them with rock jugs. They can't hear anything. Like sometimes if we do it in the dark, it's fucking, it's just chaotic as shit. Right. So a little fun fact is the easiest way to get me to puke (laughs) is to have a dog blow their anal glands. So it happened in Boston and where we were training, where this happened was across the street from a middle school or from an elementary school. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) some dog blew their gland and it was a particularly um, good vintage. And, 
I went outside and promptly puked in front of a fucking room full of fourth graders <laughs> out in the middle of the street in a tattooed goof ball, bald, like with a hat on backwards. And I'm just puking my guts out in the middle of the street. And I came back in and Eric, I, I don't see Eric laugh that much, no, but he, funny. you were crying. I was I, dying. Yeah. Uh, that, that was, was so <laughs> great. That was so bad. That smell. I had to open the windows in the room. I couldn't be in there for a little bit, but just about every uh, seminar happened in Buffalo too. One of the dogs blew their glands in there and I went outside and threw up in front of everybody. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, but it, it's, that is my favorite scenario. It's the one that I get involved in, uh, that and Brown hole, the ones that I get involved in a ton. Um, and like, I'll be in there fucking smacking handlers and smacking dogs with rock jugs and yelling and throwing shit. And yeah, that's my, my, one of my favorites. Ray, yep. do you have anything that stands out? Man, the, this entire year has been just a blur. But, I mean, some we've been some amazing locations. I mean, fuck, we trained in the damn prison in West Virginia and some oh, mansion God. in Philadelphia. Um, we've seen so much cool stuff. And just to get the feedback from some of these guys saying, hey, I've been on the job for 18 years, and this is some of the best training I've ever received, was just very validating, and it, it just felt good. I remember sitting, you know, when I was rotating out of the decoy pool in Flint, and watching some of these handlers come out of uh, environmental room and they're all praising their dogs and they're super excited and proud of what their dog just accomplished and you know this is what it's all about i mean we're, we want to keep these guys safe and effective in doing their jobs and and to us you know to see that kind of stuff is really rewarding we've also had a couple charities step up to kind of help um help get officers that wouldn't be allowed to come because of budget reasons um Debbie Johnson with Canines United and Terry Lindsay with Pod Forward have both stepped up to sponsor teams to come to these events that that basically were denied for budget reasons at their you know local departments. So just to see the momentum build behind this is, is very it's really cool. I mean I, I'm excited to come to these. Um, it's really fun to see the growth over the course of you know two or three days. But I'm um, really excited to see what 2020 is going to bring too. And of course uh, the after hour stuff is always. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, you mentioned Philly. Uh, so the place we the one place we trained in was a uh, it was a family mansion. Uh, fam- oh, one of the one of the railroad ridiculous. families, right? Dude, From you know you're loaded when you have a spot on the fucking Monopoly board, right? <laughs> so and this this place was un- unbelievably humongous. And then at some point, the family sold it to a to a Catholic church, I think. Yeah, it was like a nun. Became a yeah. seminary or whatever, yeah, whatever that like is. A convent, for, I think. Con- yeah. And um, we found a uh, uh, confessional booth <laughs> in there. <laughs> we and stuck. we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to use that. We stuck Hagner's dirty ass in there. Yeah. <laughs> and so we put Hagner in one side and we made a video of it. And, and I believe it's on, I know it's on my Instagram, on Van S. Canine. I think we, we put on Working Dog Radio Instagram. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, probably on Facebook. I, don't, I think it's on HRD, too. I, I don't remember. But basically, uh, we, we had the guys from Delaware State Police were there, one, one of their troops. Um, I don't know what part of the state this particular troop is in. But they had four or five dogs there. Yeah. Every one of them the size of a small pony. Um, <laughs> and part so, of the bid requirement. It has to wear a fucking saddle. Right. So they had a 95, 105 pound, whatever he was, Malinois. And I'm like, hey, bring your dog and come in here. So we just did a whole confessional booth where I was the preacher. And we, uh, and Hagner was the person confessing. The sinner. Yeah, the sinner. And he had to confess <laughs> to some, some really stupid uh, canine training mistakes. <laughs> 
fuck. And bacon. everything he confessed to, we would open the door and throw that 105 pound swamp donkey on him in there, <laughs> and let him just. And you could see Sean after I think the second sin that he got punished for actually switched arms. Oh yeah, he's, he's like yeah. fuck. You can see it in his face, like shit. That, that we had a blast at that place, man. That that building was pretty awesome. That's the same place we also blew up one of our Mevo cameras with a smoke bomb. Yeah, we almost killed Jim <laughs> O'Brien. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, Jim's that like was, too much, too much. You know, that was one of my favorite <laughs> seminars too for um, Brown Hole. Uh, there were some teams there that all trained together, and um, they ran each other uh, as backup, and they all all of them made the same mistakes. And every single one of them watched their other friends and their other co-handlers make the same mistake. And they came in and did the exact same thing. And I was mm-hmm. like, are you like here? Are you, you see what's going on? They're like, we know. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, yeah. at least, you know, but I'm like, seriously, they're like, yeah, that we got to fix that. And I'm like, yeah. And so in terms of dogs, I was thinking about it while you guys were talking. Uh, what about the dog from Texas? Oh, the single purpose dog. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you want to talk about that, Ray? You remember that guy, right? Oh, was it Ken? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't remember the, the full backstory. I just remember the dog was designated as a single purpose. We didn't know that until the first day, by the way. Sniffer. And <laughs> yeah. they said the dog was not going to do bite work. And hell, that dog was destroying people by day three. And, you know, fast forward to, man, I want to say September. Was it September? Yeah, sometime around there. So, that dog, so from the time, so from September, um, so that was in January. Um, they certified, I think probably through NNDDA, uh, down in Texas, just outside of San Antonio, um, as a dual purpose team. Um, and we reminded him that he still has a lot of work to do, but you know, it, it, it speaks to, um, one of the things that Ray talks about all the time is scalability. So, you know, we were trying to scale everything for this dog and he was clearly, yeah, he handled it well. Yeah, he handled it yeah. well. I mean, he had almost no environmental problems. You know, he obviously didn't have a ton of bite work because he was a single-purpose dog. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that is kind of a, um, I don't know, not necessarily a testament, but definitely a, it speaks to how we run run those things in terms of selection, in terms of, of scalability, that that dog was then able to move into a position of being a dual-purpose dog and pass a certification standard, um, which is what it is, but then be able to handle all that stuff without that amount of training speaks a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to, we're going to end this here in a minute with, um, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'll put myself on the spot too. So uh, excluding Cincinnati, cause we haven't worked with him yet. Give me your number one, 2019 training group as a whole dogs, teams, training, Everything together as a whole. Who stands out? And listen, guys, if your unit is not picked, it doesn't mean you guys suck. It's just um, we're talking the least amount of issues, the most progressive training, the the guys that were into it the most. Um, I know who I'm going to say, so uh, I'll let you guys. Same one I'm I'll say. let you guys go ahead, Ray. Let's hear hear where you're at on that. Man, this this is a hard one, but I'd probably have to say Jay Nix. And his crew down there. Down in and we Florida. had some pretty epic battles in that <laughs> room that, or building that he secured for us to train, and we decided Knocked to remodel holes in it. The fucking drywall. Yeah, but <laughs> and pretty much everybody went really. I mean, they went hard. Um, we had yeah. a good time down there, but I mean, man, a lot of these training groups were just putting out. I mean, we've had pretty much everyone who's come to these things have 
come there because they wanted to be there. So that changes the dynamic. <laughs> yeah, the, the attitude of the guys is super important. Yeah. Um, we, we did run across a few, not many, a few guys that were, eh, you know, didn't really want to well, do were, it. They were told to be there. Yeah. And um, that's sad. That's, that's too bad. But I think even those guys at the end were like, that's pretty fucking cool. You know, maybe maybe oh, we yeah. changed their mind a little bit. Ted, who you? Uh, um, I would say Bartlesville, but that doesn't count because that was mainly my guys, <laughs> um, and they all fucking crushed everything. And it, Ray and I were kind of like, how can we make this like? So excluding Bartlesville, um, I would say Marion County also. But what I do want to say is, four years ago or a while ago, um, I my buddy that is a sergeant down there, George Wallace. Um, had me come down the comedian no <laughs> isn't he in vegas <laughs> uh george is awesome um had me come down and that was the first time i actually met jay but me and uh carlos ramirez uh made like so i went down and did basically hrd version point one mm-hmm. in the same building we trained in while we were down there in fact four years later i found a rock jug i was using in the attic <laughs> um, that I was smashing dogs in the face with. Um, and there was a kid there, Chris Baez, uh, West Palm Beach Gardens. Um, I freaked him the fuck out in an attic, and I freaked him out in a couple of ways. He came up to us at the beginning of this year in, uh, where were we, Daytona, um, and talked about how just that exposure three years ago or however long ago, three or four years ago, doesn't matter, but had it changed the way that he trains. Um, and his handler from West Palm Beach was at the HRD in Marion County, Florida, and was one of the stronger teams there. And they attribute it to how um, the exposure they got to me from three years ago. So going back to Marion County, and I said this while I was there, it was kind of like a full circle for HRD in terms of like from start to finish and kind of a validation. But yeah, there were some teams down in Florida that fucking brought some heat. And like we had some decoys, we had Jason, we had fucking tanks big ass we had yeah. <laughs> breaking <laughs> drywall and Allie, shit Allie almost got her teeth knocked out <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Allie's fucking harder than Chinese algebra man I mean she's <laughs> mm-hmm. she's work she's I think our probably our most consistent decoy for all these she's doing her hobo road show thing she's driving around she's homeless um, sleeps in her car unless she's with us and she sleeps at the Airbnb <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, so I'm going to say Marion County. Um, those guys, uh, Jay Nix runs a super tight program down there, and it shows those guys, um, and in Florida in general, um, they do a good job for sure. Yeah, um, so for me, uh, it's it's a unanimous vote. Uh, Jay Nix and the Marion County group, that training group there of all those guys, uh, stood out. Again, listen. There, if if we didn't mention, there's a lot of there was a lot of great teams, man, um, that uh, that put out a lot. You know, we had some smaller uh, seminars like in Bartlesville, or, or uh, Ray and I went up to Colorado and, and Howard and his crew. Yeah, and they had smaller groups. Those guys rocked it, killing it. Um, so they had a little bit smaller sample size, but that the large group down there in Marion County, they are doing their training correctly. They're doing their handling correctly. And they are um, doing it legally correctly and not over afraid, man. All these departments that have all these massive restrictions that aren't rooted in any actual case law or any actual real stuff 
uh, are just, it's, and I feel bad. Listen, I know you guys as handlers, you have no control of it. There's nothing you can do about that. Um, but, um, the guys down in Florida and, you know, no offense to Florida, but you guys are fucking weird down there, man. Yeah. Well, the, shit, the while we were there, there was a fucking bitch driving around shooting at cops from the fucking car, like the yeah. first day at the seminar. And they <laughs> still rock and roll down there, man. Yep. And they're doing it correctly. And there's nothing that says they can't do it that way. But then, you know, but everybody has to work within their guidelines and things like that. But Jay uh, and his crew should be super proud of themselves because those guys brought it, you know, on the Brown Hole Center. Those guys yeah. wanted more, and they were fucking sweating and loving it, you know. And there was some little bit of good old boy stuff going on in some. Yeah. <laughs> Holster up, boys. It's yeah. about to get nasty. One of the handlers took his hat backwards. <laughs> like he was getting ready to go into a room, and he knew, yeah. and he just turned his hat backwards. and was like, oh, uh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Decoys are like, motherfucker. So. The other exciting thing is now we're, we've done so many of these, we're starting to see people run our scenarios. You yeah. see them oh, posting yeah, yeah, videos, yeah. and it, it's, it's great. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm excited that people have see the value in what we're doing and have changed their training regimes and their, you know, their groups. And it's, it's kind of cool to see that out there now. Yeah. I can smell dinner. So So, let's just, uh, ever listen at the end of these, Ted and I always talk about where we can be found or anything. Uh, Ray, why don't you run down all the HRD stuff? Oh boy. Uh, well, if you're interested in hosting, uh, just contact me, Ray at HRD police K9.com letter K number nine K in the mm-hmm. number nine. Yep. And same thing with decoys. Um, if you're a decoy and want to get involved in that, just send me an email. Um, we want uh, we bring in a lot of people that opportunity to come out to these things and work. Um, we are filling up pretty heavily into 2020 already. Like I said, we already have that LEO survivability seminar cooking for uh, September 2020. So stay tuned for that. And what about that, social media? Social media, just uh, HRDPoliceK9.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. All that good stuff. Yep, just look us up, HRD. Um, anyways, man, it's been a good year. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And we got the last one of the year with Cincinnati PD. Starting tomorrow. Starting tomorrow. So. Don, Donnie Meeks, in the, uh, he's got a nice training group. He keeps some guys up. So we're just going to kind of see what we can throw at him. Yes, maybe a sink. All we'll right, see. boys, it's been a good year. All right. Yep. See you. Bye. Later. Our very first sponsor, our most loyal guy, is Arno over at ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. I love his tugs, his suits, everything he's got going on. His hidden sleeve is legit. His trainer sleeves, all that stuff, man. We get a lot of stuff from Arno. When you call, he's the guy that answers the phone. He's a one-man operation, kicking ass over there. He's over in Vegas. If you're in town, hook him up and check him out. Ted, talk about his website and discount code. It's uh, ALM. K9, the letter K number nine, equipment.com. That's ALMK9equipment.com. If you use the discount code WDR Radio, it'll give you 10% off your first order as long as it's not a suit. He has, I just saw recently too that he's got those uh, super thin hidden Kevlar sleeves back in stock. Uh, those are the ones that Eric and I got as a prototype, and uh, we both love those things, and they've become kind of the go to thing for a lot of the hidden sleeve guys like PSA for the carjacking. And it's what we use for a lot of the scenarios you see where we use super thin equipment, we're rolling around wrestling with handlers. But uh, keeps you protected, keeps the dog engaged, lasts for quite a while, fits well too. So ALMK9Equipment.com. Yes, one of our very, very first sponsors of the podcast before we even recorded an episode is the guys out in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania at Bravo 3 and at Tripwire. Uh, we love those guys. They do a fantastic job of training the modern law enforcement and first responder. And that's what Bravo 3 is really all about. It's about an, a combination of SWAT, canine, 
bomb EOD, fire, hazmat, TAC med, and SOF first responder guys. Everybody gets together to share information. So you've got a lot of people there that are really, really good at what they do, including Eric and I. We're going to be instructors. When is it, Eric? It is October 26th through the 29th in Gettysburg. You can sign up at bravo-3.com, www.bravo-3.com. Come see us, man. Come hang out. We'll have a good time. Yep. I want to take two seconds and talk about the entrance and exit music that everybody hears here, which is kind of an important part of the entire thing we do. The artist, Brother D, has been extremely gracious in letting us use this music, and I want everybody to go hit him up. And if he comes to town, go see him. Go buy his shirts and go buy his CDs. It's Brother D, D-E-G-E dot net. All of his new music's up there. You can get it on the same place that you're listening to this. You can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Google Play, or you can order it straight from his website. But go hit him up. He's a great dude, super gracious, and if you get a chance, go see him live. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.